Welcome to Deepen with Pastor Joby Martin. The Church of 1122 is a movement for all people to discover and deepen a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we're praying this message helps you deepen your relationship with Him. Now let's dive in. All right, welcome back to the Deepen Podcast. We're closing out this testimony series, and I'd love to welcome my brother, Ryan Britt, back to this podcast. My man. Good to be back. Appreciate Caitlin, man. I feel like she's done a really great job. Helping dig into the word the last couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. The three of us have known that for many, many years. She's a beast, man. She's a disciple-making beast. And you can't do that without knowing God's word. So she's yeah. awesome. And uh, we're going to introduce a new segment here called uh, Pastor Joby's Hat. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what hat is it this week? This is a Matthews hat. And so if you're in need of a good bow, then you should get the Matthews lift. I know Matt McPherson, the guy that, Invented the Matthews and the McPherson guitar. That's his first name and last name. Brilliant dude. Loves Jesus like crazy. This is a very like Solomon kind of prayer. Way back in the day, he was broke, had nothing, and was trying to create compound bows to hunt with or whatever, something. And he prays his prayer. He's like, Lord, if you will give me ideas, I will leverage them for the glory of God. He came up with the solo cam. Only hunters are going to know what that is. It, it revolutionized everything. Matthews is one of the best bows out there. He's got an entire division called Missions, Mission Bows. All of the proceeds support missions and missionaries. And this particular hat I got in South Africa while doing ministry with One Hope, one of our partners, and there's a Matthews bow shop there, and so I got it there. Mm. Go, Matthews. It's a great hat. It's a great... So we're talking about boldness. Matt McPherson is a really good example of what a bold witness for Christ is not working at church. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. leveraging. And he's real big on, I'm going to make them the best because believers should make the best, not the worst. It should be the exact opposite. Yeah. We should be the smartest, most innovative, hardest working for the glory of God. That's how this dude lives his whole life, man. It's pretty mm-hmm. incredible. I love that. Well, let's dig into it a little bit. Acts 3 and 4, um, we had some revival in the place, I feel like. And and I want to ask this question. Uh, we're talking about testimony and what was witnessing? We've talked already on this podcast about like what was witnessing like for you growing up, or how'd you learn to witness, or was it a religious duty, that kind of thing? But like, so being a witness for these folks, for, for Peter, how, how is that different than today, or how was it the same? Like, what, would they, what were they thinking about being a witness? Well, Peter was a firsthand experience of the life, death, and resurrection and ascension mm-hmm. of Jesus. Mm-hmm. So that's a little different. Yeah. Not so, some kind of category of like, I should witness. He could not stop talking about what he had seen and heard. Mm-hmm. And what he saw and heard was they killed Jesus. Three days later, he came out of the tomb. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, <clears throat> Luke and Acts are part one and part two. Right, mm-hmm. and so in Luke, uh, as you're talking tonight, I was thinking about Luke 24, when G- Jesus asked, actually answers that question in f- 24. By the way, guys, I just got prescribed glasses. I can't and see you nothing. don't. And I didn't bring you them. Definitely don't have. Did them. you use them? <laughs> man, I, I own them. The moment you put them on, your eyes are like, "Forget you, man. What you've been doing to me? Just put them on." Oh man, they'll make you blind. And they're like, it's "We're bad. not going back. We're not going back." <laughs> so let me get this as close to my face as possible. But. uh uh, what, where am I? Luke 24. Luke 24. Jesus says this. Uh, he, opened the, uh, he, he opened their minds 
talking to the disciples, said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer, suffer on the third day rise and rise from the dead. And this is at verse 47. And that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. That mm. This is the, you know, kind of the precursor to the missional mandate in Acts 1 mm-hmm. that you were talking about tonight and you received mm-hmm. power. So to be my witness is to proclaim the repentance of sins in Jesus' name and the forgiveness of sins that only comes through mm-hmm. Jesus. And so he answers his own he, I don't know if it's his question, but he answers your question. Hmm. That's good, yeah. Uh, I love the summary that you gave, Pastor Joby, of the you know, first two chapters of Acts, you know, and that, that whole idea of you have to get the power first. Like the power will come upon you to be the witness, and if you get that order wrong, you're in trouble. Yeah, and there's a lot of witnessing in your own power, mm-hmm. like like you said, religious obligation. Or I mean, man, I grew up. I was a Christian in the '90s, mm-hmm. so youth group Christian in the late '80s and '90s. We were the worst. I mean, that was it, right? We would blanket Myrtle Beach with mm-hmm. tracks <laughs> to accost strangers mm-hmm. and be like, "You think it's hot out here?" You know, things like that. Intros like that, mm-hmm. and um, I just. I'm all for, you know, riot evangelism or whatever you want to call it, I guess. But I would I would definitely encourage people to really seek the guidance of the Holy Spirit in regards to to that. And not everybody is called to the same type of witnessing. For sure. I think the the it falls in the camp of work not exclusively in the camp, but it kind of goes in the general ballpark of where Paul says you know, whether good motive or bad, yeah. The fact that Christ is preached, I rejoice. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of things that would fall into that camp yeah, historically. Yeah, yeah. Of we're talking about Jesus Christ, and in the name, as you said tonight, their name has power. That's right, and it can overcome our even operating in our own power. And praise God for it. But I was one of the convicting things or challenging things for me listening listening to the sermon tonight was that so often I pray for and think about fruit versus power. Mm. And I do think there's a distinct difference. And I believe that God does not, he does not pour out the kind of power he's talking about in Acts. Um, he's not withhold, withholding that, that that promise is still available to his people, but there is an exchange there in like wanting to be powerful in the name of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit and asking for the power mm. um, and not just praying for the fruit. Yes, yeah, You know it, what I mean? It's not until Peter is willing to be a conduit that he really gets to see fruit in his ministry. Mm. Peter's got to be one of the guys with James and John that were arguing about, you know, who's the greatest. So there's two different accounts there, right? One time the mom goes, the mom of the sons of Zebedee go, but then the, the disciples in general are arguing about it. There's this jockeying for position, you know, Peter's chopping off ears, whatever. And then single-digit weeks after the resurrection and single-digit hours after the indwelling Holy Spirit, he becomes a conduit, and it's like he doesn't even care what happens to him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, you want to talk about a major shift. Yeah. Because, I mean, you know, Caesarea Philippi, right after 
Right after, he, right after he says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God, and gets the keys of the kingdom to heaven, then he thinks he is in a position to rebuke Jesus over the gospel. Mm-hmm. Seven weeks later, I don't know exactly the date of Caesarea Philippi, but whatever, single digit, a few months later, he's standing in front of people that could kill him. He's like, if you got to kill me, you got to kill me. Mm-hmm. But I, this is what I'm going to do. Mm. First time I ever went to Israel, I went with a, a pastor who, I'm not going to say his name, but I went with a pastor that... <laughs> is uh, pretty well known. And at that time, and still, is is very bold, uh, even to cross the line into not, like, dumb dumb bold sometimes. (laughs) You know what I mean? Especially back then. Especially back then. We're sitting on the southern steps of the Temple Mount, where Peter was preaching. You got the mikvahs, the old like ruins of the mikvahs behind you where all the people were getting baptized yep. in the walk-in tubs. Mm-hmm. Now, the southern steps are cut in half by that southern wall. Yep. And on the top of that wall is where there's a window seal and there's a, a Muslim school in there that's below the Al-Aqsa Mosque, mm-hmm. which is what you would most people know as the Golden Dome or the Dome of the Rock. Yep. On the Dome of the Rock. And so we're sitting there. The sun's going down. It's the last day of Ramadan. And this guy's, there's a couple hundred people sitting on these steps. I'm in my, like, late 20s, you know. And this guy's preaching fire on these, te- on Acts 2, Acts 3, Acts 4. And out the window, the teenagers and adults in the Muslim school are just getting loud. And they're starting to get loud and loud and loud, like yelling. Hard to tell if they're trying to yell over him or if it's just the sun's almost down. It's the last day of Ramadan. We're about to have a party, right? The louder they get, the louder he gets. And he starts calling out the demon God and demon prophets. I mean, he's getting after it, bro. And I'm like... I was like, bro, I was, I was like, I don't know what to do right here. Like, I know how much boldness Peter had when he was on these steps, but currently I'm a little nervous about yeah, what's about man. to happen. So it's a pretty wild experience being there thousands of years later, you know, on those very steps where the Holy Spirit fell and me, being in a moment where you're like, all right, Holy Spirit, I need power right now just to stand here and listen yeah. to what mm. to what's happening. You know, it's a pretty mm. crazy experience, but. Yeah, it doesn't. It... I think it's really hard for us to get our heads around, like, really all of the book of Acts because, you know, persecution begin post-Christ crucifixion, persecution of the church begins right here, mm-hmm. okay? And for most of us, it doesn't cost us much to follow Jesus. I know it costs us our whole lives in regards to, like, personal holiness and things like that, oh, yeah. but socially, we're just getting to the place where it's beginning to cost people socially or financially, mm-hmm. as opposed to willingly. I mean, think about this. They arrest—this blew me away. I just kind of saw it for the first time today or this week. In Acts 4, it says, like, he's still speaking, and they arrest him, and 5,000 men believed. Mm-hmm. And you're like, hold up. So while while they're taking him away, he's, like, giving the invitation. Mm-hmm. Anybody want to surrender to Jesus? Stand up. They're like, mm-hmm. I'm in. Mm-hmm. They know it's going to cost them because they're yeah. seeing what happened. Mm-hmm. Firsthand, yeah. And you spent some time talking about how Peter's trait of being outspoken and bold, or perhaps foolish, or you know, he says the first thing that comes to his mind. 
God turned that into the, uh, one of his greatest strengths, right? And and he and he says some really wild stuff. He's not mincing words at all mm-hmm. in what he's saying. So uh, is this a model? Like, what's a, what's what are some things we should take away from? How do we know when to be aggressive with what we're saying and bold or like almost offensive? And then how do you know when to be winsome and wise? I mean, this is just... Um, yeah, man, we live in a culture of offense and, uh, it's like people are walking around with clipboards just waiting to be offended. So mm-hmm. being offended is a choice. It really is, mm-hmm. you know, in the purest form, when you're preaching or witnessing or sharing your faith, you want to make sure that you're not offensive. It's the gospel that offends. That's right. And That's that, good. that is the fundamental difference. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, you're trying to share the good news of the gospel, and the good news confronts a really bad situation that you're dead in your own sins. So I also think that not everybody's not like the Apostle Peter. Mm -hmm. And I I think it's very key to figure out what part of the body that you are. And um, because a part of what it means to witness is just to share what you have seen and heard. Yeah. And again, I think we talked about it here months ago, but I mentioned it in the sermon. You're not the judge. You're not the prosecuting attorney. You're not the defense attorney. You're the witness. So when you play the witness, you don't have to be forced. You just share what you know. Mm-hmm. And I think that matters. Also, people, everybody doesn't have to talk the way I talk or the way you talk or the way you talk. You know, mm-hmm. I think being authentic to who Jesus saved you to be is mm-hmm. the best way but it does say, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witness. Mm-hmm. So I think there's there's probably categories. If somebody studied it, there's probably whatever. You can make it up, right? Yeah. Nine or 11 different categories, personality styles of sharing the faith. But I would always... I would, I would I would challenge people not to compare yourself to how anybody else does it. Maybe you can emulate people, mm-hmm. but I don't know that there's a way. Mm-hmm. Now, we are all called to be bold, to pray for courage and boldness. Mm-hmm. And I, just, I think that looks different. Mm. I think some people like to be offensive because they just like the attention. Mm. So you should just do whatever brings Jesus the most glory. Mm-hmm. And sometimes hurling insults at people in the name of Jesus because you want to offend because you just like the attention, that's mm-hmm. not God-glorifying. Mm-hmm. But speaking the truth in a situation where it's going to cost you something you know, mm. could be. Yeah, that's a really good clarification. Like the, the gospel is the is the offen- offensive thing, and it's offensive right. to our sin, and if it's offensive to our pride, we don't have to add to that by calling somebody an idiot or, or you know, saying they're got a weird face. You know, right. <laughs> um, and when what I I love when you're talking about the faith that Peter acted in. You know, you talk about that that gap when he says, "Okay, here's what I have to give you." He he steps out and takes his hand and lifts him up, and then the miracle happens. And it made me think that that's, that's such a pervasive trait in so many people, and, and, and maybe it's just a certain personality type. It's kind of this, give me the evidence that's going to work first, then I'll step out. Right. You know, uh, my mentor used to tell me this story of when he was in college, and, and he was at this job fair, you know, and he got so tired of it, he would just, he just sat down with one. He's like, I'm not... I'm not going to waste my time. Tell me, are you going to hire me or not? You know, before they even had any kind of interview, you know, and and the guy was like, you're an idiot, you know? 
Uh, but it's that same attitude. It's like sometimes we treat God that way. We say, hey, just give me the guarantee that it's all going to work out, then I'll step out in faith. And I don't think that's how it works. So here's something I didn't get into. At the very end of it, it says the guy's been at the beautiful gate for 40 years. So that means Jesus walked by this guy a mm-hmm. bunch of times. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of times we get our timing off from God's timing. Mm-hmm. I mean, think about it. Jesus must have walked by this guy and chose not to heal him. But he knows all things. Mm-hmm. So maybe in his mind, every time he saw him, he's like, your day is coming, buddy. Mm-hmm. But if I heal you now, it will not have the impact that I need it to have to launch the church all over mm-hmm. the world. Wow. So that's, cool. that's a real big part of faith is that I trust God, mm-hmm. that he's either going to cover this with his grace or justice, but mm-hmm. God's got this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you follow, if you walk with the Lord for any amount of time, if you if you have real experiences with the Lord, you will learn quickly that you will have more. The experiences with the Lord happen, and then it takes a long time to understand what happened, and you almost never understand why it happened in the way that it did. Mm. And you know, take your salvation that you don't understand God and have all the answers right. first, and then have an eternally eternal trajectory changing conversion experience unto uh, you know under grace you spend the rest of your life trying to understand what happened to you in that moment and it's the same way with every work of god that he the work of the holy spirit on the earth that he would invite you into that you you're praying and you're wanting to be used by god and you're hopefully eyes open to see god moving around you so that you can join him in his work um, but almost never is it like something you planned. It's just mm-hmm. like a door that God opened. Mm-hmm. But if you weren't praying and have your eyes open, you probably wouldn't see it. And then you step into it, and it's one step at a time. You know, you grab the ladle, to, to yeah. the John 2, you reach your hand down to the man on the sidewalk, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. It's having the eyes to see that he's working. Um, but to understand it first and then to take the step, it's just not its not how it works at all. I had this great conversation. There's a, there's somebody in, I, I just, well, I'm, I've known her for several months or whatever. They live, they used to live here. Now they live in New Jersey, but they come back and forth for, because of a reason. And um, she has been talking about starting a watch party in New Jersey where she lives. Mm-hmm. And, but she hadn't done it. But she, believes God's told her to do it, Mm. which if you just evaluate it on the surface, I'm like, even if you're wrong, how can you be wrong? Mm -hmm. Like you get to heaven, he's like, I didn't tell you to do a watch party. You're like, my bad. I thought you did. That's not a bad thing (laughs) to be wrong about. And so tonight she was like, all right, I'm going to do it. I'm going to have the boldness to do it. And I was like, here's the safety net. You can't fail. This is the next chapter, actually. This is Acts 5. This is Gamaliel's advice. Like, either God's in it and he's going to do the thing, it's going to be awesome, mm-hmm. or God's not in it and mm-hmm. nobody shows up. And either way, it don't. the, the results are not up to you. Mm. The obedience is. Mm. So, I mean, the real presence is oftentimes found in the obedience. Mm-hmm. And we want the m- miracles without, like, the, the obedience yeah. to do what he says. Mm. Is, that, is that a part of the... S- we talked a little bit about the safety, like it's the softening or the shyness, like wanting to have it all planned out as like a guarantee is, is a form of risk aversion. 
Totally. Right? And so it's like, hey, give me, if I have this planned out and I have it all plotted, then then the risk isn't really there. And so then it's safer. It's a safer bet for me. I mean, listen, we, we, we know some inside baseball here at 1122. One of my favorite things about, like, where all our campuses are, <laughs> not one of them has gone to plan in regards to, like, you know, we set out, like, a two-year journey and be like, mm-hmm. here's the next three campuses. And then if you look back, you're like, we didn't, we did one of those and the two other ones were in other places. Because mm-hmm. you're just going, man. Wherever the mm-hmm. Spirit says go, you go, and it gives opportunity. And yeah. You just kind of constantly pray, guess, and go, and we're not in charge of it. And our people are so awesome that I haven't had anybody be like, you said Arlington was next, and it wasn't. It was, you know, and I'm like, hey, man, as far as we know right now, Mm -hmm. this is what we understand God calling us to do, and we're going to do whatever. Because Peter and John did not wake up that morning Mm -hmm. and say, you know what we're going to do today? We are going to heal a man and go to prison and lead 5,000 more people to Jesus. Mm -hmm. They were doing their normal thing that they do, which was get up and go to prayer. Mm -hmm. And that's what they were doing. And on their natural, God put some super on that natural and said, I've got bigger plans. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that's a better way to go. Now, I'm all for strategy. I'm all for making a plan. As long as you know that it is, you hold it with a very loose hand mm-hmm. and do whatever the good shepherd tells yeah. you to do. Yeah, that's that's that proverb, right? Like a, a man can plan his steps, but they're established by the Lord. That's right. So I love Acts 4.13 says, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. And it made me think, I mean, talk a little bit, Pastor Joby, about Okay, at this time, you talked about the Sadducees, but this is during a time when who you studied under, yeah, how how learned you could be, how educated you could be was almost all of your credibility, right? Correct. And so is it talking about strictly they weren't schooled or is there, you know, it's not saying they're dumb. It's saying that they did not graduate from one of the sanctioned seminaries or yeah. rabbi schools that we look at. Now, what's mm-hmm. interesting between Luke and Acts, or between the Gospels and the, the Book of Acts, is the the main adversary of the way changes. It's primarily the Pharisees when it's Jesus. The Sadducees don't really get too mad at Jesus, except when he turns over the tables at the temple. Because mm-hmm. they were in on the hook, man. Mm-hmm. They had made a deal with Rome. They were running how the temple mm-hmm. worked. And they're getting kicked back from Rome as long as they can keep everybody chill. Mm-hmm. Well, now that this thing has shifted, mm-hmm. the Pharisees, you see them, they don't really get into it that much in the book of Acts, but the Sadducees are there all the time mm-hmm. because this thing is spreading. And they're like, you're ruining this religious system that we built that we profit from. Mm-hmm. Stop it. And then later, Paul actually uses that. Mm-hmm. He's like, uh, he's like, I see some Sadducees here. I'm here because of the resurrection, you know. And then he he starts a fight between them. <laughs> uh, the other thing, okay, this is what if a little bit of a little bit of speculation. So that the same group, a part of the same group that put Jesus on trial, is now putting uh, Peter and John on trial. Mm-hmm. And what if, like, real sanctification? is being displayed, hmm. and the things that Peter and John are saying, the group is like, we've heard this kind of talk before. Like, surely when they had Jesus on trial, they had to be overwhelmed with the presence of God 
in their midst. Mm-hmm. Well, now here are men filled by the Spirit, and the presence of God is in their midst again. And Jesus said, hey, listen, when you're on trial, don't worry about what you say. I got you. Mm-hmm. And that is actually literally happening in that moment. Mm-hmm. And maybe some of them are like, this is, this cannot be explained by mere mortal terms. Something's going on here. These are ed- uneducated, ordinary men, but mm-hmm. we can tell they have been with that one that we tried last time mm-hmm. that rumor yeah. has has come out of the grave. I think it's always when you are studying Acts 3 and Acts 4, and you started with Acts 1 tonight, the and you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes to, comes upon you. You'll be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Right before that, you get a pretty good hint at what, if you were to not be overly critical of the Pharisees and Sadducees, knowing what we know now, mm-hmm. what was driving a lot of that was the, the restoration doctrine. Yes. That they they wanted the fulfillment of Joel two, which they interpreted as the fully restored kingdom of Israel. Right, and the question even the disciples ask before Jesus says it is, "Are you about to restore yep. the kingdom?" Mm-hmm. And Jesus is like, and it's interesting that he doesn't overly criticize them right there. Like, there's times where Jesus is like, you know, kind of backhands them a little bit, but on this one, he 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 was, seems to be pretty gentle, mm-hmm. where he's like. Not even wrong question as much as wrong timing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he's saying, you know, you, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes to you. Not many days from now, That's right. mind you. And the time of what you're asking for, you, you just don't get to know that. Correct. But the time has come for the gent- for the kingdom for the kingdom of God to be unleashed on the earth through the power of the Holy Spirit. And there was a confusion. Well, it was just a, a lack of divine intervention up until this point where everything, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Israel were inseparable right. realities in their mind. And I think that's always a fundamental, like it's a fundamental bit of knowledge to keep in your mind, especially through Acts, is part of what was so, the, the anomaly of it all was that Jews non-Jews could be overcome by the power of God and that the love of God was available to non-Jews in the same way that it was available to the Jews, right? And that this competed against all the restoration doctrine Mm. of the reestablishment of the kingdom of Israel as a national kingdom and power, you know? Is it the letter from Peter or is it uh, Thessalonians that say the delay of Jesus is so that all will come to know him. Thanks, Peter. Me too. Yeah. So think about this. I mean, I'm just thinking about this right now. And the reason I ask is because I don't want to try to act like I, I know the whole thing. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. mm-hmm. So the guy that preaches the sermon at Pentecost, which mm-hmm. is the first time the gospel written. Now, Jesus begins to, like, dip his toe in saving Gentiles. You know, you, you see that through the gospels. But this time it really explodes. You're going to go to the, the whole earth, Matthew 28, Acts 1-8. And the guy that's like in charge of the church in Jerusalem is the guy that has the clearest understanding is the heart behind the delay of Christ's return is so that he can gather up his children from every tribe, tongue, and nation. Mm -hmm. So once again, you see the Great Commission as a driving force. 
Second Peter 3, 8 and 9, do not overlook this one fact. With the Lord, one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Right. Praise God. He didn't, in my life, he didn't yeah. come when I was in the fifth grade. Mm-hmm. Or, you know what I mean? I mean, you could just, all the people that have gotten saved you know, in the last month, right? Yeah. He he knew that. He he loved them so much that he would delay being ultimately and finally fully and forever glorified mm-hmm. for the sake of saving people into himself. Mm-hmm. Well, it's part of what you're talking about tonight in regards to the sovereignty of God. Sovereign you, Lord. You know, Dude, and, somebody gave me the biggest stink face on the second row. I know. I, I saw you. I saw your face, and I thought, all right, he's going for it. And uh, I, I love saw, it. I saw the, it's always young. It's always like twenty year olds. These twi- they were like when I talked about predestined. That's I did not intend to like define it mm-hmm. as. Do you think God has a destiny for your life? That's my favorite thing to ask. Oh yeah. I don't know a person that's like no. <laughs> or you think he's like waiting on you to figure it out or make it the plan up as it yeah, goes. Yeah. Like oh, what are we gonna do now? <laughs> yeah. Well, when you're talking about the sovereign, sometimes people struggle. I don't know that anybody struggles out loud. Some do maybe, but. With the return of Christ, because it's like that's the end, like that's the end, yeah, of things as we know them. And make a good song, yeah, and things will, things will be different, right? And under His sovereignty, though, we can eagerly anticipate the return of Christ. We can pray for it, we can wait for it, we can be eager about it, and we can labor under the power of the Holy Spirit for the advancement of the kingdom of God and people coming unto Christ through faith while we're also waiting for him. So it's some, sometimes people will, there's like a, there's a unnecessary tension in the return of Christ. And when Christ returns, look at what about all the people who haven't heard? Well, at that point in time, the sovereign God will have answered all the, of the checked all the boxes Correct. that yeah. he was is eternally trying to check. And there'll only be two categories. There'll be sheep and goats. Yes. So I know we And no to, matter what happens, you'll be cheering for the king on that day. That's yes, correct. Um <clears throat> I know we like to pick on the Southern Baptists as much as any of them. The I got saved at a Southern Baptist camp and it's easy to pick on your own people. Well, that's the thing that people don't understand. It's like that Jeff Foxworthy thing. You can't make fun of rednecks unless you are one, and I are one. So I was ordained Southern Baptist, so whatever. <clears throat> the motivation behind the Southern Baptist obsession with sending missionaries to unreached people groups is the return of Christ. Amen. That, that's like the most biblical mm-hmm. d- drive. Yeah. For him to return, mm-hmm. it's not so that pain stops for us. Mm-hmm. It's let we're we got saved, we got rescued, we're part of the rescue team. Mm-hmm. Let's go get everybody mm-hmm. that he's called unto himself, mm-hmm. so that we can get to glory. Mm-hmm. Let's go. Isn't that isn't that a verse? I think it's Mark. And Jesus says this gospel will be proclaimed Correct. around the world, and then the end will come. Correct. You know, and you make that connection of there is some. There's some tipping point that's like it's been proclaimed in all the world. That's right. You know, every ethnos has had an opportunity. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean every person either. I mean, Paul looks at sections and he's like, "That place is already covered." And you're like, "Hold on, not everybody in Philippi mm-hmm. is a Christian." Mm-hmm. And Paul would be like, 
I get it, but everybody has access to a local church in Philippi. You could just go to it. The gospel mm-hmm. is available. Mm-hmm. He talks about other places where the gospel is not available to anybody. That's the distinction. Right. Well, what you did tonight with introducing the Church of 1122 Espanol. Yeah, baby. That... Gloria a Dios. This is not literal days, but in days' time, we will be able to take gospel-centered, Christ-exalting sermons, messages, resources, Mm -hmm. and in seconds have them translated into any language in the world. Correct. I mean... It's gonna happen. It's gonna happen so fast, and we're so close right now. We're so close to the technology existing for you to be able to just in a dumb way for you to, not dumb but just low hanging fruit here. If you could come to 1122's website yep. and choose any of the languages in the world, right, and immediately our website will be translated into that language, and and not like a, a half understood version of your that language like exactly the way that you would speak that language yeah. in your dialect yeah. and it's so close and so people get afraid of technology and I go this is the means that's it Lights by which the end will come so I a little story about 1122 Espanol we got a guy on our staff named Jay Owen his kid is right here behind the camera one of the smartest dudes Definitely in this area, the smartest guy on our team, and Jay's great guy. too. He, yeah, this guy, <laughs> the kid. So his, so so Jay Owen is he's the brains behind this. He has all the gadgets and tools. Sure. So I'm in Bolivia uh, earlier this year, whenever last year, on a with Compassion International with a bunch of pastors trying to like turn the screws on them to get them to be Compassion churches. And I get this, just this text, and he's like, "Hey man, you're speaking Spanish," and I look at it. And it's what you you know you guys are familiar with it, right? And I'm like, that's my voice. This is crazy. Okay. And he's like, we're working out the kinks. And one of the kinks, this is funny, I think, is like slang is hard to translate. <laughs> so I'll just say for the sake of the podcast, think of the number of words for poop. <laughs> there's like a spectrum, yep. and there's like a totally fine, regardless oh, of the audience. I heard it. I, I know a little Spanish. And I then there's it. like not okay. Well, so anyway, so that's kind of the case working out. Well. So I'm I'm in Bolivia and uh that day we're in we're in the field, we're like dove hunting, and uh there's a guy, they call him a bird boy, which I, that's a weird name, but it's the guy that works with you to like handle the stuff, whatever. This guy speaks Spanish. I don't I don't speak Spanish, he doesn't speak English. And I'm like, hey man, listen to this. And he grabs my phone and he just hits play. And I'm not paying attention because doves come and I'm doing what I do. And dude, I turn back around. This guy's just sitting on the bucket, like he's supposed to be loading my gun and handing it to me. And he's just sitting and he's crying. And I'm like, "Hey, man, what's going on?" And my very little Spanish and his very broken English, he's saying, "How do I get more of this?" So we go get a compassion people graduate that's fluent in both, and this guy comes to Christ. Wow! This wasn't even the thing, man. This was the little prototype one, mm. and it was only about ten minutes. So I go, Jay, I need the whole sermon. Because this guy needs to hear it, right? And that was the first experiment with this thing. So what's the evidence of the Holy Spirit? People coming to Christ. Yeah. So how about that? I can't even mm. I can't even do it. And yeah, and he is like, this guy's going, wait a minute, this is you 
but I'm like, I know, man. Mm. I'm like, and then I did through the interpreter. I'm like, this is God wanted to speak to you so clearly mm. that he sent me here. And even though I don't speak your language, God wanted you to hear this message through this. And mm. then the interpreter says it to him in Spanish. And then, they, I mean, how cool is that? I think that can happen everywhere. Mm. Yeah, I agree. And I think in a, it is happening in a lot of different places. But the lid's about to come off it. No and doubt. One of the wild things, you know, for many years I spent mucho time overseas right. in many different countries. And the World Bank did a study a handful of years ago on poverty and poverty majority world context. And one of the things that they found that was so fascinating was that if you looked at the essential human needs, you think food, you think water, you think air. But one of the ones that was in like the top five of the essential human needs was the need for communication. Mm. And this would explain why I could be out in the jungle of wherever, Mozambique, and there's one or two shared cell phones in the most abject poverty that you could imagine. Because once the world got the technology to communicate beyond its, mm -hmm. it couldn't, yeah. it, it just began to crave it, yeah. it, it you know? And, and, and yeah. that's everybody in the world, whether you make $2, $2 a day or less Correct. or $2 million a day, that this need for communication is out mm -hmm. there, which means like the Roman Empire that created these roadways mm -hmm. whereby the Apostle Paul could travel all over. Technology is now that roadway that we can get to the most remote people in the world mm -hmm. without having to to get on planes, which we would be willing to do and should For do sure. in Jesus' name. But we can um, continue to resource them. Yeah. In their language. We can get further faster with the Great Commission. Man. By using... The, the gospel superhighway is open. The World Wide Web. And yeah. our ability to utilize it is catching up, and God's so much smarter than us. That I'm not saying God created AI, but I, He's not surprised by it. Mm -hmm. And that computers will now do. It's going to be wild, man. It's about the next twenty years. It's going to be the wild west in regards to gospel advancement. Mm -hmm. Let's go. Let's go. There's also a, a principle of like as technology technology advances, it starts to leapfrog. Like to your point, like uh, it may have cr crept along in the development. But then it starts to leapfrog for other people who are who once that's available. Like I've been into the, I've been into in jungles in Asia, and there's no running water, there's no like electricity. But they got TVs and cell phones and car batteries. That's it. You know what I mean? And, and so, soccer is always on. Exactly, <laughs> always. <laughs> <laughs> that and cricket. Yeah, they, they play. A lot but of you're those. right, man. And I, um, kind of back to what we're talking about in this text, you're going to see. Some churches be ruled by fear and do nothing because of what bad could happen. Mm -hmm. And then you're going to see folks led by the Spirit be bold mm -hmm. and say, listen, we're going to just sling the gospel and trust the Lord with the results. Mm -hmm. And then you'll always see a group of people trying to leverage it for their own name and fame. Mm -hmm. You know, I love what you, the, the attention you brought to something about the early church, like that pattern of, meeting for prayer as a large group, and then community and breaking bread in homes. Uh, we probably all heard it said, like, uh, we, we shouldn't want to go back to the early church because it was a disaster, right? And, but I think it was. it's important to know there are certain things about the church as, a, as its inception, as you read Acts, certain things we do want, 
right? Their boldness, that pattern of meeting and and focusing on the resurrection, you know, the the diversity, their love for the poor. We don't want the the absence of established doctrine. You know, we right. don't want the highly dysfunctional syncretism of pagan uh, idolatrous worship. Right? Sure. We don't want that. But there are some things to grab a hold of. Well, there's four that I wrote down tonight that are evidences of the power of the Holy Spirit. This phrase that you receive, the power of the Holy Spirit when it comes on to you, it's got two parts to it. There's the power of the Holy Spirit, which comes with these effective works. And then there's the when it comes upon you, which another way that is translated is when you are clothed in it. Hmm. Is, you know, when it, mm-hmm. when it clothes you. Well, the four distinctiveness of effectiveness that I could think of tonight as you were working through it is First Thessalonians. It just talks about the, the power of the Holy Spirit and conviction. Mm-hmm. And that this is a conviction of the God, that the gospel is true and right and to do something about it and the conviction of sin. Right, And you look in the Old Testament in the phrase where it talks about the clothing, there's a few places where people are clothed in the power of the Spirit. Gideon, the Israelites are acting crazy, and Gideon's like, repent. So repentance and the clothing of the power of the Holy Spirit come come hand in hand, right, in conviction. And then the other in the Old Testament, the clothing, the clothed in the power of the Holy Spirit is... um, his name's hard to pronounce, but he's it's one of David's mighty men. And he said, more or less, he stands up and says, we're with you, David. And it says that he was clothed in the power of the Holy Spirit, and they go to war. Mm. And there's something to that, that he's not the, the Holy Spirit's not going to clothe you with power so that you can hang out by the pool and drink umbrella, umbrella drinks. No doubt. But this is for war. Yeah. And um, and then Second Chronicles 24 is, 24, Zechariah, same thing. Israel's acting the fool, and God clothes him in the power. And he says, repent. So conviction is one of the clear distinctives, Yeah. right? And then courage, you talked about that courage, tonight. Yeah. So I, was, I wasn't, I didn't try to articulate it. In my own mind, I don't know if we were on yet when you said, I drink an energy drink before tonight. So I think that... Um, the church has to be a hospital for the broken. But if all you ever do is preach the hospital for the broken sermons, you'll never take any ground for the kingdom. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And and the church the church also has to be forcefully advancing and forceful men take a hold of it. But if that's all you ever do, nobody can ever come as they are and be broken. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. if you think about last week, the whole sermon in Peter's testimony is about you ever feel like you're screwed up and God's mm-hmm. done with you and you're ready to throw in the mm-hmm. towel? Don't. His grace is sufficient. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's the hospital. And I wanted to balance it this week with part B of Peter's testimony, yeah. which is be bold and let's go and let's take some ground. Mm-hmm. And I don't necessarily like go through all the sermons and make sure we got even, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> like let's go attack hell and it's hospital okay. And war. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Balanced diet. But these two weeks, I was definitely thinking yeah. about that kind of balance. Jesus displayed that with his disciples. You know, like he come away for a while, rest a little bit after they had been, after they had gone out. Now they were they weren't really able to to be away or alone very long because they'd be, get confronted with another crowd. But he would do the same thing. He'd withdraw and then he'd minister. He'd withdraw and then he'd minister. It's got to be that rhythm. Rhythm's rule. That's what I've heard you say. Now, when when the authorities. Take the you know Peter and John. They say 
hey, stop talking. Don't, don't, don't say this anymore. They say this, this wonderful phrase, we just can't, we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. So what does that tell us about obeying authorities? When do you obey and when do you disobey? authorities. It's interesting, right? The same guy writes in Peter, obey all authority. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, as long as you can obey both, you should. Mm -hmm. But if the subordinate authority disobeys the true authority, then you choose to disobey the subordinate and obey the true authority. Yeah. Period. Listen, man, I, I almost got into it I didn't – I we as a leadership team, man, we learned so much like through COVID and how yeah. easy the church folds. Mm-hmm. And I'm not trying to justify any of the decisions we made or whatever, hindsight's 2020, et cetera. Uh, <laughs> the church, including us, me, I'll take full responsibility, probably had too much trust that people were telling us the truth. Mm. Turns out, post there's a lot of there was a lot of things that weren't true that they were saying, mm-hmm. and we did learn a lot of lessons. Yeah. You know, um, what's interesting is we used to applaud people when Nebuchadnezzar would play the tune, and people wouldn't bow down, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And I think the American church is too quick to just comply to whatever's going on and calling it love your neighbor. Well, that goes back to the thing you're talking about being safe. I think it's safe. The way I see it coming in our day is if you continue to preach these things, these certain doctrines, then you're going to lose your tax-exempt status or something like that. You let it cost the church a little bit and watch how many fold and call it Romans 13 or... Like, oh, we're submitting to the authority. Especially because we're living in a time when the words you say are are classified as you're you're violent. You're doing violence against that person by expressing a different opinion. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. So, I mean, we'll see. I don't know if it'll happen in our lifetime, like where we live. But if it does, I would hope that we and everybody listening to us would be the kind of people mm. that don't read Acts 3 and 4 as an allegory to having a bad day. But Peter's boldness would help you pre-decide, I don't care what it costs me. Mm. I'm not going to bow down mm-hmm. to anybody. Well, I have a Lord. His name is Jesus. Mm-hmm. My comfort and my and my like things that I want in my life mm-hmm. or... My compliance is not my Lord. Mm-hmm. Jesus is my Lord. Well, wisdom, a lot of wisdom is learning how to navigate nuance, right? Mm-hmm. And how to make godly, God-honoring decisions with a lot of nuance. So it's easy to read Acts and Peter getting arrested and, and ask the question, you know, what do you do about submitting to authority? Well, hold on. What are we talking about? Well, who? What authority? Mm-hmm. Because the Romans are doing the arresting, unless I'm crazy, right? They're the ultimate authority, and he's not saying down with Caesar. He's not saying overthrow the throne. He's not even. They're not even combating against Caesar, right? But then there's a different authority on the street, mm-hmm. in the synagogue, mm-hmm. in the like Jewish hierarchical powers, 
And Peter is just challenging them with the truth of the gospel that there's this man named Jesus whom you crucified. And so he's stating facts. These It's not like his opinion that they crucified yeah. Jesus. He's stating the fact. You did this. And so the the nuance of power structures on the street that day and who's actually in charge and what does it mean to be submit to authority and it's just not a blanket there's not a blanket way to look at that and go hmm. was he submitting to authority or not it wasn't like the all the disciples or the 5000 men bum rushed the arrest <laughs> arresting you know people and start you know what i'm saying it wasn't chaos or riot it, it was like he was going with them yeah it makes it i mean his his you've got to decide for yourself is it right to obey god or you sounds like Listen, I can't do anything about it. You're gonna kill me if you kill me, but I am. But I'm gonna do what God told me to do, and trust God with the results, even if the results mean I go to jail. Mm-hmm. What's very interesting, you know, that list of people they name, and yeah. I, you know, I said the reason they do it is because they were actually there. Well, in the Old Testament, man, um, if you were the high priest, you were high priest for life. But now, what's going on here is there's a bunch of different high priests that are there because. The Roman government is working with the Sadducees to like remove a guy and add a new guy that works for them. Right. Like you, you get some real wonky mm-hmm. uh, priests getting real cozy with the government for their own benefit. Mm-hmm. I like what you pointed out there. Like we tend to think about it in extremes. Like, hey, if you don't submit to authority, then you better like you know just fight against them. They weren't necessarily doing that. They were just saying, hey, we're just going to keep doing what we know is right. And accept the consequences no matter what. It's kind of like we said earlier. Many times, many times. Yeah. and showed up for trial many times. Yeah. And the only jailbreaks were angels and <laughs> earthquakes. Yeah. And they still and they even waited. The they apostle did. Paul kept himself in prison mm-hmm. to appeal to the powers of Correct. Rome because he was a Roman citizen. Yeah. Oh. And and so they were working within the system contextual to the culture that they were living in mm-hmm. and being faithful to the gospel. Mm-hmm. Uh, without compromise, at whatever cost to themselves. I think the Amer- the problem with like the American rebellious spirit is what they what what people want to do is disobey those in authority and think that there are no consequences for that. Right. What you see in the Bible is we are disobeying this human authority, and we are willing to endure the consequences yeah. of that for yeah. the sake of the gospel. That's why, I mean, when they pray, man, this is this one gets me. They're fresh out of jail. They show up, and their first prayer is sovereign Lord. Then they quote some Bible verses. Mm-hmm. Then they're like, you know all the people trying to kill us, mm-hmm. and they don't even pray that God would change the circumstances. They pray that God would give them boldness in those circumstances. Mm-hmm. That's just a different kind of prayer. Mm-hmm. For sure. They took. It's like they took delight. They quote Psalm two there. You know why do yeah. the Gentiles rage? And and it's like they're one. They're saying things back to God that He knows. Like they're saying, "This is what you did." But it's almost like they're delighting in the fact that they're part of this fulfillment of of the plan. Right? Like yeah. uh, the, gathered against the Lord's anointed. The word for that is Messiah. Right. You know, and it's like, they're, it's like they're excited. Hey, we're part of this thing. We're seeing it unfold. That was prophesied from a long time ago, you know. So let us keep carrying that that banner. And you're right; they don't pray 
please put a stop to the threats. I said, let us keep going. You know, what, what is that? What does that teach us about how we should pray? Um, well, a couple of things is, first of all, you can bring your request to God, uh, in this corporate prayer, like this is like a staff meeting. Mm. I mean, this is the church leadership mm-hmm. and, they're praying for boldness to accomplish what Jesus has already commanded them to do. Mm. They're not looking for direction. They know direction. Mm. It's Matthew 28 and it's Acts 1-8. So they are praying for boldness to accomplish what the mission has already been given. Mm-hmm. Now, there's also, like in the book of Psalms, there's some terrible prayers in there. Mm-hmm. But they're great prayers because these are personal between mostly David and the Lord. And it's way better to get it out. Like, God's a safe place for you to cast all of your cares and anxieties mm. and even evil wants. Yeah. Like bashing people's heads against rocks and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. That might not be one he answers for you. For sure. But, <laughs> where, but the prayer, the business prayer meeting for the church leadership mm-hmm. ain't the place to be doing that. That's mm-hmm. sovereign Lord. Here's some scripture. Give us boldness. Because the marching orders have already been given. Mm-hmm. The personal devotion between... David and the Lord is the place to just pour out whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. It's like when you, and I think about that, like I grew up in a house where every time we got in the car, it's like, Lord, keep us safe. And I'm a parent and I pray for my kids to be safe. You know, I don't think that's a bad prayer, but I try to think about safety is not the number one goal. Like, of course, I want safety, but I would, I think the prayer for boldness is one that he's like, I'm, I'm happy to answer that, even in the midst of danger. You know what I'm saying? Like, so it's okay, but it's yeah. like it's, we don't want to put it on a pedestal. Like, we want to be weirdos, but I mean, our kids are getting a little bit older. But we, Gretchen and I, talked about this a lot, and we would try to say, "Be wise and courageous versus careful," because mm-hmm. if you're wise, because you don't want people to be careless, and so if you're wise, you're not careless, right? Because you're mm-hmm. you're taking care of your surroundings, etc. But also there'll be moments where you're called to be courageous. I mean, one of the proudest moments I've ever had is the J.P. Carrack thing. Yeah. He was not careful, and he was not safe. Mm-hmm. But I feel like he did yeah. the right thing. He ran across Beach Boulevard. Correct. <laughs> so, but I, And I thank God he did it. You yeah. know what I mean? And so I think if, you're, if, if, if you worship at the idol of careful and yeah. you assess the situation, you're like, people need help. But the most careful thing for me to do is to stay right here because that keeps me safe. And so I would just encourage parents to go beyond. Of course, you don't want your kids to get hurt, but there are better words to encourage mm-hmm. your children with that are more godly, that are more like mission driven. Mm-hmm. So we would try to say, be wise and courageous. Yeah. My dad, <laughs> Wild Bill, man, he was one of a kind. I came home from college. I hated college. I hated school. And I felt called to do something, you know? And when I was 17, so I'm probably like 18 or 19 at the time, I get called when I'm 17 to like do something, you know, to the glory of God. And, and you know, I had a wild hair for sure. And so I just decided, 19, I'm going, man. That's it. I'm dropping out of school. I'm going to the other side of the world. That's it. I'm out. And I go home and I tell my dad, I'm like, Dad, I got to go. I I just can't even do this anymore. I'm going to the other side of the world. 
And he sits across the table and looks at me and he goes, well, how much do you think that's going to cost? And do you think you're ever coming back? That's all he asked. That was it. He didn't try to talk me out of it. Wow. He just said, how much do you think that's going to cost? And do you think you're ever coming back? And I thought, at that point, I was like, maybe he was so smart that he was calling my bluff. You know what I mean? <laughs> no, no, yeah, and uh, But I'll never forget it. I that's mean, incredible. it changed the trajectory of my life and leadership and everything of like, what are we talking about here? <laughs> mm-hmm. you, you know, know, I hope to be that kind of parent that my, my mm. kids feel the nudge from God. And, right. And mm. I'm, I, I'm more worried about what God's telling them to do and their obedience to the Father than I am about my own plan for their life as yeah. I might play it out, you know? <clears throat> you know, it's interesting. When I felt called to ministry, I've shared this story before. My dad wasn't walking with the Lord then, you know? I, was, I just got accepted to med school. Here's what's interesting. He is a really, really good dad, and I know that he loves me. And so all the things that he wants are for me. It's just mm-hmm. the filter that that ran through yeah. was really, like, corporate, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um. But here's what it made me do. When I had to sit down with him, I didn't even have to. I knew the right thing to do was to sit down with him and say, I'm not going to med school. I'm going to seminary. And I've, I've told that story a ton of times. <laughs> I, and I, I paid for lunch. And I took him to Subway. Think about that. Mm. And, and kind of said, hey, this is what I think God's calling me to do. But I knew the questions he was going to ask, and they were going to be very practical questions. Not because he is some kind of crazy anti-God guy. Not at all. Mm. He's a good, good American man. Um, now he walks with the Lord, so it's a completely different mm. conversation. But he he still wanted what's best for me, and in his mind, what was best is like a plan, and you know what is this, mm. whatever. It made me like cross on my T's and dot on my eyes and do some research mm-hmm. on things like career and ministry, and mm. can I take care of myself and that that sort of stuff. So me being prepared to answer what questions I thought he might ask mm. was. It was like it was disciple. He was discipling me and mm-hmm. how to grow up and be a man. Yeah. And one of the things, I mean, I, I told him I wanted to do youth ministry for the rest of my life. And and he says this. It sounds funny, but he's like, "Boy, you don't get up and go to fun. You get up and go to work." Mm-hmm. I'm telling you, you take two or three proverbs, and that's what they say. Mm-hmm. I mean, such godly advice. Yeah. So so the fact so for me to go get a degree and all that mm-hmm. was me kind of proving to him like I've this is a real thing mm-hmm. that I'm not just not going to med school because that's hard mm-hmm. and I'm going to run camp because that's easy. Yeah. But I'm willing to put in the work. Yeah. And so it was good. It was really good. What's crazy is, and no one su- supported me like he has in ministry. Mm. Yeah, amen I, for that. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah. even before he's walking with the Lord, he showed up to everything. He asked about it. Now it's crazy. <laughs> he's he's working on moving here and he's going to choose his home because based on what campus he wants to go to. I mean, if you had told me that was a conversation I'd have yeah. had you know, when I walked out that subway, hey, here's the future of your dad. I'd yeah. be like, you're out of your mind. <laughs> but it's it's crazy, man. So, amen. Mm. Yeah, well, well, the the um, chapter four finishes verse thirty one. The place in which they were gathered was shaken. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. So, wrap us up with with that connection that you made so well, Pastor Joby, about the Holy Spirit's role. In, in fulfilling the Great Commission and, and in boldness. 
Well, he also says, you know, may you stretch out your hand Mm -hmm. with healing and signs and wonders Mm -hmm. as we proclaim the word boldly. Mm -hmm. That God reaching out his hand and and doing signs and wonders and fulfilling the miracles people are asking for Mm -hmm. came on the tail end of this Mm -hmm. serious prayer meeting. Yeah. And so, I mean, just straight commercial, man. Come to elder-led prayer. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, if, if anything, we're a growing church. We're an evangelistic church. We're a church that loves the gospel. I sure would love it if we were a church that had prayer meetings that shake the room, mm-hmm. you know, and really tapped into the power of God mm-hmm. in that kind of way. Mm-hmm. And that is an area our church needs to grow in. I'm not talking about individually. Maybe I don't know what people's individual mm-hmm. prayer life is, but when we call our church to prayer, mm-hmm. I would really love to see the people that love Jesus and call 1122 home, mm-hmm. that they would make these high, high, high priority events because mm-hmm. they seemed to in the very, very early stages of the church. Mm. Yeah, it was a priority, obviously, even after they were fresh out of jail. Yeah. That happens again. Like we're yeah. Doing knocks, you know, they're knocking on the door and they won't let them in. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. Well, the thing you were saying just a minute ago, I think is a good word like, the call to step out in faith is not necessarily a call to go with no plan, you know? And I think that maybe somebody needs to hear that. And that's part of what happens in prayer, right? We get the boldness and we're get, we get the wisdom, you know, to take the steps we need to take. So you said that that's a prayer that you pray, that we would be, that God would show signs and wonders and do those miracles. All right, Ephesians says um, that we praise God for immeasurably more than we've ever dreamed or asked of. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> well, our experience so far is that God is true to his word, and he has done that. It goes on to say, in the church, right? Yeah. Okay. So I'm thinking, well, if that's what your word says, God. Mm-hmm. Then I want to pray the biggest, even like I, my prayers apparently have not been big enough. Mm. Right? They hadn't been big enough. Mm. They hadn't been specific enough. They hadn't been, so I'm going to... I want to pray more and bigger and bolder and more audacious prayers and Mm. prayers that even in the back of my mind, I'm like, that's impossible. Mm. But I did write a book called If the Tomb is Empty, Anything is Possible. (laughs) So I'm laying that above you. Like, I don't see how this ever happens. But so that the limiting factor is not my, our prayers, Mm. our ideas, our dreams. Mm. Amen. And you mentioned, Pastor Britt, I forget when it was, but... Something like, think about the power that can be unleashed when we are a people who can share their testimony and a people who pray. Yep. You know? So why don't you close us in prayer, Pastor Joe, if you have no more closing remarks for to that. That's right. it. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, would you just uh, draw our hearts to you? Um, I mean, the, the people in this Acts 4 prayer meeting are praying after seeing and experiencing the the curtain between the Holy of Holies, where the presence of God dwelt, being torn down. So this was a fresh and new experience for them to be filled with the Spirit and have access to the Father because of the blood of Jesus. So God, we repent that that's how we, that's how, that's all, the the only kind of prayer life we've known since becoming Christians is that because of the blood of Jesus filled with the Spirit, we have access to you. Mm -hmm. May we never, ever, ever take it for granted. Mm -hmm. Uh, Spirit, would you inspire us to pray God-glorifying prayers, and then would you embolden us to live them out? 
We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast. <laughs> the end. You nailed it.